Meeting Suffering Part of life, isn't it? A welcome to another look into the life and message of Elizabeth Elliot, who called us to live to a higher standard every day. Not satisfied with throwing a little religion into life, a shallow substitute. As the series continues in the coming weeks, we'll hear from family, friends, and others who were influenced by the life of Elizabeth Elliot. Today, part three and four of a five-part look at deliverance from depression. If you are to meet suffering, and if you haven't already, you will. Can you meet it with joy? Think about that in a little bit. Also later, resorting to the cross. Gateway to Joy 1310. Well, as we talk about depression, maybe when you hear the story of the five missionaries killed in Operation Alka, it does indeed make you sad. Well, Ecuadorian missionary Frank Kohlinger talks about the first time he heard about those five missionaries and their martyrdom. Also, Steve McCauley, whose father Ed was one of those killed in Operation Alka, talks about the bond between the five widows, maybe stronger than you'd think, and about the wedding of Elizabeth and Jim. That's Steve McCauley coming later. Right now, part three of Deliverance from Depression, Meeting Suffering with Joy. You are loved with an everlasting love. That's what the Bible says. And underneath are the everlasting arms. This is your friend, Elizabeth Elliot, treading in on very thin ice this week, talking about deliverance from depression, because I'm not a professional, and I'm not talking about clinical depression. But I'm talking about just that dryness and darkness and distraction or desolation and even in despair once in a while that all of us have some experience of. Baron von Hegel wrote, The grand practice of at once meeting suffering with joy. I told you the story of a little girl yesterday who had a disappointment. She wanted to be the babysitter, and her mother had hired another one. And the little girl was further disappointed because she wasn't allowed to watch the movie she wanted to watch. But she found joy in offering up her sadness and reading a story to her two-year-old sister. And she said, I was happy. Bitterness can be at the root of a great deal of depression. Before we talk about the negative fruits of our own bitter spirit, and that sort of bitterness can be absolutely deadly and satanic, there are some positive aspects to be considered first. God gives us thirst for love and then makes bitter all the earthly wells wherein we seek to satisfy our burning. And so we look above and find at last the only spring that quells the longing and the yearning. If we have unfulfilled desires, do we refuse to look above or do we become bitter and then eventually depressed? De Cossade says, souls who walk in light sing the hymns of light. Those who walk in darkness, the hymns of darkness. They must both be left to sing to the end the part and the motet which God allows to each. Nothing must be added to what he has made complete. And every drop of this divine bitterness 
must be allowed to flow even when it overwhelms and intoxicates the singers. Thus did Jeremiah and Ezekiel act. Their words were sighs and sobs, and their only consolation was in the continuation of their lamentations. If their tears had been wiped away, we should have lost some of the most beautiful passages in Scripture. The Spirit who makes them desolate is the only one that can console them. These different waters spring from the same source. And let me pause here and say, far too often, we choose broken cisterns that can hold no water. We will go anywhere for comfort and consolation and support, rather than to the source, to the spring himself. Back to De Cossade. When God appears to be angry, the soul trembles. When he threatens it, it is afraid. There is nothing to be done but allow the divine operation to develop. In its full expansion, it brings both the illness and the remedy. Weep and tremble, dear souls. Agonize in your anxiety. Do not make efforts to get rid of these divine terrors, these heavenly groanings. Receive in the depths of your being these streams from the ocean of suffering which God carried in his holy soul. Go on your way, casting your seed of tears, as long as the influence of grace makes them fall. That same influence of grace will dry them unbeknown to you. The clouds will be dissipated. The sun will shine. The spring will cover you with its flowers. And the full course of your self-abandonment will reveal to you the admirable variety of the divine action when it is seen in its full extent. Now that may have been a little heavy for some of you, but here's a contemporary letter written to me by one of my listeners. He says, I was laid off from a good job in 1991. I got married again after two other marriages had failed. We thought that this marriage was made in heaven, but it wasn't. It lasted one year. I remembered that only good things come from God. I finally started working in retail sales. God was teaching me the servant's attitude. I worked at a Christian bookstore and at a fast food restaurant in a mall. Each day, I started my day in depression. The devil would kick me or give me a negative thought about myself. And then I took over, kicking myself and beating and putting myself down. I turned to God and asked him to kick a smile on my face and a smile in my attitude. I called to our Lord for help. I started asking every customer if they were blessed Boy, was I surprised at all the blessed people. I asked if they were having a great day, and how's the Lord treating you today? I found that the Lord was working in everyone's life. I started singing hymns and positive, uplifting Christian songs to myself. I also started praising God and telling myself what a great and powerful and almighty God we had. I remembered one of your programs when God asked you, Will you love me? Will you trust me? Will you praise me? I started telling God daily, I love you, Lord. I trust you, Lord. I praise you, Lord. 
and I thank you, Lord. This has brought me closer to God. I also would stop what I was doing, close my eyes, and start praying for someone. And as I finished, someone would say that they were praying in agreement with me, and I thought that I was alone. I praise God and sing hymns and pray when I wake up at night. I figured out that I was praising God as we are commanded in Deuteronomy 8.10 and several other places in the Bible. Deuteronomy 8.10 says, When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. I was starting to think positively about everything. Philippians 4.13 came to mind. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. God was working through me, and he was healing and restoring me and renewing my mind, and I was trusting him to meet all of my needs as he promised in Philippians 4.19. My God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. The power of the word was working in my life, and all I had to do was to trust him and to allow him to work in my life. For 52 years, I have struggled with God. Jesus is teaching me that he is the vine, and I am the branch. The Father is the pruner. He has been pruning things and people from me that separate me from him. In January of this year, I went job hunting again. I found in the book of Nehemiah where Nehemiah and the people prayed and worked when they were threatened while rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. I learned that we are to pray and then do something working toward your need. I prayed and applied anywhere and everywhere. I thought I might find work near my church. I prayed for a job or jobs working with Christians. I'm now working with a Christian at a job that I did not even apply for. I was worried about making the house payment for February, and just when I needed it, God provided for me. Thank you for your program and the encouragement that you give to all of us. I stopped looking at how big my problems were. I started looking at how big my Lord and Savior is. I realized that my God was bigger than the entire universe. I also want to share some scriptures that have changed my life. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Luke 11.13 If you then, though you are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to them who ask him? The minister read the scriptures about the Holy Spirit to me and we prayed together. I didn't notice any change in myself right away. But now as I look back, I realize I can't stop talking about Jesus and sharing scripture and encouraging others. Today I'm different. I'm buying two-inch letters and putting scripture and encouragement on my truck. I am driving a sermon. 
My friend that I work with had serious car problems last Friday, and he was very concerned about his need. He was downcast, and I had come to work feeling down myself. Thank God for the Holy Spirit, as he moved me out of the way and started sharing Philippians 4.19 over and over. My God will meet all your needs. My friend was concerned about going into debt. He quoted scripture that God's people would be a lender nation and not a debtor nation. Well, I didn't have an answer, but I knew that my God would meet all of his needs, and I kept telling him this over and over. We prayed in agreement that God would provide him with a car and also the money. His wife called him, and a lady that she works with wanted him to drive her car to his work and put a for sale sign on it. Well, we knew that God was working. The next day, I found out that he had decided to buy the car, and he had the money to pay for it. I give you my permission, he says, to use my name and this letter, if you wish. Thank you, Jim Spencer. Deliverance from depression. God wants to give you a gateway to joy. Gateway to Joy 1309, Meeting Suffering with Joy. Deliverance from Depression, Part 3. Well, let's hear a little later from Steve McCulley, who was a coach and teacher. His father, Ed, uh, was one of those killed in Operation Alka. He'll talk about the bond between the five widows of those missionaries. You know, the events of life can really get us down as we've been thinking about depression. What about the time when the five missionaries were killed in Operation Alka? Veteran Ecuadorian missionary Frank Kohlinger talks about the first time he heard about the five missionaries and their martyrdom. I was in high school. I was uh, 15 years old, and I remember it made big news in St. Louis. In fact, I still have some of those newspaper articles about the the killing. And um, Jim and, let's see, it would have been Ed, I think it was uh, Pete Fleming, one of, one of the others, and Jim, uh, visited our home church back in those days. Now, I was going to another church at the time, so I didn't meet them personally, but uh, I'm going to that church now, and a lot of the old-timers uh, remember when they came through because they were having a ministry across the Mississippi River in Illinois uh, during that summer, I think, that they were here before they went to Ecuador. So I, I heard about their when they were killed. Uh, of course, uh, the three of them, uh, Jim, Ed, and Pete were all from a Plymouth Brethren background, and that's my background, so that made a, a lot of uh, news and uh, information about them in our circles. Ecuadorian missionary Frank Kohlinger. Thank you, Frank. Well, later on we'll hear from Steve McCauley, and he'll talk about the tight bond between the five widows. But first, part four of Deliverance from Depression, Gateway to Joy 1310, Resorting to the Cross. Because over many years I've been receiving letters from people who tell me how depressed they are and give me very sad, unbelievable stories, which they tell me are the cause of their depression. Of course, we all have to go through this veil of tears, this dark world, one way or another, whether we're Christians or not. But I do believe that Christians have a resource which is not available to those who don't know the Lord. But unfortunately, very many Christians don't seem to avail themselves of that. 
And what I'm talking about, of course, is resorting to the cross, the cross of Jesus Christ. One of my favorite hymns from as long as I can remember is beneath the cross of Jesus, I fain would take my stand. The shadow of a mighty rock within a weary land. This weary land, of course, is a metaphor for the world. And that mighty rock is Christ himself. Those of my listeners who have been to the Holy Land have perhaps been to the Matsada, that unbelievably huge rock in the middle of a very, very barren desert. And when I was there many years ago, 1967, I thought of the words of that hymn, A Shadow of a Mighty Rock, because that huge Matsada rock casts a huge shadow at certain times of the day. And I thought of the shepherds and the goat herds and people who would be traveling through that desert. What a tremendously wonderful and welcome relief the shadow of that rock would be. But even when we take advantage of that shadow, there can be still lurking in our hearts a root of bitterness. And I do believe that bitterness is the root cause of much that is labeled depression. Try sorting through all the learned diagnoses that a counselor has given you. Rake over what somebody did or didn't do, somebody said or didn't say, or what God gave you or didn't give you, the apology that you expected to get which you didn't get, the appreciation that was due to you that went to somebody else, recognition that you never received, some simple kindness that was overlooked. They did it, and you were hurt. And your life can turn into a deep, gnawing, soul-destroying bitterness unless there is resort to the cross, unless we come to the foot of the cross, let go of that bitterness there and put it into the hands of Jesus Christ who dealt with all of it when he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Somebody sent me this little leaflet by Roy Lesson. A woman once fretted over the usefulness of her life. She feared she was wasting her potential being a devoted wife and mother. She wondered if the time and energy she invested in her husband and children would make any difference. At times, she got discouraged because so much of what she did seemed to go unnoticed and unappreciated. Is it worth it, she often wondered. Isn't there something better that I could be doing with my time? It was during one of these moments of questioning that she heard the still, small voice of her Heavenly Father speak to her heart. You are a wife and mother, because that is what I have called you to be. Much of what you do is hidden from the public eye. But I notice. Most of what you give is done without remuneration. But I am your reward. Your husband cannot be the man I have called him to be without your support. Your influence upon him is greater than you think and more powerful than you will ever know. I bless him through your service and honor him through your love. 
Your children are precious to me, even more precious than they are to you. I have entrusted them to your care to raise for me. What you invest in them is an offering to me. You may never be in the public's spotlight, but your obedience shines as a bright light before me. Continue on. Remember, you are my servant. Do all to please me. Now let me read to you a passage from Ephesians 4, verses 29 to chapter 5, verse 2. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I really believe that that is a cure for the majority of forms of depression. It's not going to cost you any money, but it will cost you your life. A laid-down, crucified, self-abandoned life, which doesn't belong to you anymore. It's His. It's God's. It's all His. And that will be your gateway to joy. I have a letter about deliverance from bitterness. Your prayers for me are being answered, she says. This letter was addressed to both me and to Alma Griffin, who is one of the most necessary helpers in answering the mail. Your prayers for me are being answered. Thank you. For six years, I've been very bitter, angry, unforgiving about wrongs done to me by my mother, my husband, my friend, and my foe. It all happened when in my middle life, I said, forget it. I'm tired of serving, loving, being taken advantage of, and hurt. I'm tired of ministry and church and people. And yet, I had to be with all of these. I tried running away, sometimes literally, sometimes emotionally. I was on a self-destructive path and knew it, yet I didn't really know it. My loving husband was getting at the end of his rope. But I really began to cry out to God, to pray that he would uproot that root of bitterness that was so deeply rooted. He is hearing and answering, and I'm thanking him daily. Another letter. I haven't any income at all. I live with my unmarried son and take care of my disabled mom. I was in a terrible situation about three and a half years ago. I had nowhere else to turn and got on my knees and asked God to help me. My son, only 22 and no steady job, wanted to buy a house, and I prayed that God would lead us to the house we should have. A few months later, 
we stumbled upon our home that he could afford, and we know it was the Lord who did it. From that time, I have given my life to him completely. No money, no job, and a mom that is disabled. I prayed for God to guide me, and I kept taking care of mom, and he gave me the joy and peace that cannot be explained. He provided all my needs. I cannot explain, although I have no income. My kids help. I have a car and take people to church every week. I wondered how God could ever use someone like me. But he has been working through me to get people to church, including my own kids. I've always had enough gas, and I take people, some of whom are on good income, but they go with me. Even our revival preacher from Indiana had sent me a check for $100. He said the Lord had impressed upon him. God proved over and over again that he will take care of me. I have never been so happy. I pass a lot of tapes around, send them at Christmas, and send Bible tracts. I enjoy your program. I may not have money to send for a while. So thank you so much, Judy, for that testimony. And Judy has touched on what I think is one of the most effective forms of therapy for depression, and that is going out and doing something for somebody else. It's just amazing how one's vision of life, one's whole perspective, can be completely transformed. And in closing, let me give you this verse from Isaiah 58. If you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. You will be like a watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Deliverance from depression. Right there in those few little verses, from Isaiah 58. Try them. Resorting to the Cross, Deliverance from Depression, Part 4. The next to the last in the series, which will continue next time. Before we go, though, let's hear from former coach and teacher Steve McCulley. His father, Ed, was one of those killed in Operation Alka. He'll talk about the, uh, the wedding of Jim and Elizabeth Elliot and about a tight bond between those five widows. I think that all five of the women, you know, had this natural bond just because of what they went through together. Not that they didn't have any difficulties because they had all kinds of hardship thrust upon them right afterwards. But my mom, you know, just thought the world of, of all four of the other women. And uh, I know that Elizabeth felt the same way about mom. That's something that I... I think about a lot. The two families were very close. My dad and Jim were buddies in college. And I, some of the stuff I didn't know till later, but when Jim and Elizabeth got married in, in Ecuador, there was nobody at their wedding except my mom and my dad. So they were obviously pretty close that they asked them to come to it. And my mom, you know, a lot of the books I read after my mom died, my mom lived with Ellie and my wife and I, the last eight and a half years of her life, and she had all these books there. And then when she died, you know, they were all there. 
and I had read some of them, of course, before, but I started reading uh, the rest of them and found just so much great stuff. So that, I think of the relationship that all five of these women had, and only two of them are still alive. From what I you know, have heard, and I just talked to Olive Lightfield just the other day, I mean, texted with her. There was just this, this bond that they had just because of what they went through together. That was Steve McCauley. Thank you, Steve. And let me thank you before we run out of time for letting us come into your home, maybe along with you as you had some time to jog or walk. Maybe we found you in the office, wherever it's been. Thanks for letting us come along. On behalf of the Elizabeth Elliott Foundation, in cooperation with the Bible Broadcasting Network, let me invite you to check out elizabethelliot.org. Elizabethelliot.org for more devotionals, for videos, for Gateway to Joy programs, and more. ElizabethElliot.org. And if you get a chance, leave a review for us at wherever you've uh, found this program today. We'd appreciate help in spreading the word. Until next time, may God remind you daily you're loved with an everlasting love. And underneath are the everlasting arms.